um, you know, personally, I've kind of been to hell and back again during the time I've been studying for this, and I think the enemy doesn't want us to be here tonight, so we must be doing something right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's stick it to him and <laughs> get into the word, right? <laughs> I'm also going to say that uh, Tony, he gave us a schedule, uh, you know, for the year for teaching. And, uh, you know, he asked us to pick a date and a scripture reference. And apart from the scheduling aspect, uh, I picked tonight's passage because there's a lot, six uh, verses of text. And I thought, well, there's going to be a lot to talk about. That'll give me a lot to talk about. But once I started studying, I realized, wow, there's really a lot in here. So (laughs) hopefully I'm going to try to get through everything in the hour that we're given. So I guess we'll just dive right in. So, um, Let's get started here. Our uh, text for tonight is James chapter 1, and we're in verses 21 down to 27, the end of uh, chapter 1. So we'll finish up chapter 1 tonight. Um, I believe last week uh, in verse 18 that was covered, the word of God, uh, we saw that it's a means of regeneration. You know, the word of God is what saves people. We see that uh, last time. Uh, however, we're going to see tonight in our passage as well that uh, to accept regeneration through the word is one thing. Uh, to allow the word of God to work spiritual maturity in a person is a completely separate thing, and we're going to see that tonight. Um, also, uh, before the work of the word of God can have full work in a believer's life, he or she must remove those things that hinder its effectiveness. We're going to see that verse 21 points that out. Um, We're also going to see that acceptance of the word of God must be followed by obedience to the word of God. So you can accept the word, but there's also that part of the equation where obedience comes in. Um, That's 21 all the way down to 27. Um, and, and hearing of the word of God must be followed by an active obedience. Otherwise, that hearing of the word is useless. And we're going to see that in 22 to 25. Um, in, addition, in addition to all of this, yeah, James 1, 21 to 27. Um, in addition to all of this, we're going to see that uh, being obedient to the word of God is more than just outward forms of religion, uh, attending church, praying, you know, reading and so forth, uh, without the inward ability for one to control the things that they say. Uh, verse 26 is going to cover that. We're going to see that uh, being able to control one's tongue inwardly without being able to do that, the outward uh, religion is useless. Um, true obedience to the word of God shows itself through outward social activities and through personal self-control and purity, separating oneself from the world's influence. So, Let's get started, uh, starting with verse 21. Well, let's read our passage first, 21 down to 27. Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, uh, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. 
If anyone amongst you thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So that is our text for tonight. You can go home now. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, So verse 21a, we're going to get started with the first part of 21. Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Uh, The word therefore uh, can also be translated for this reason. Uh, What has James just stated that that he is now coming to a conclusion? Well, in our context here, uh, in the immediate context, James just spoke about obtaining salvation in verse 18 past tense uh he is now about to speak in the present tense regarding salvation so he said yeah we've been saved by the word but now this is how the word uh comes into play with our current state of salvation uh james is saying that we have been saved like we said uh verse 18 uh but we still have a life of faith as believers to maintain and walk in in the present tense uh, Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, uh, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's talking to the believer here. You know, so there is a working out of our salvation. You don't just say, okay, I'm saved. That's it. I got it together. You know, I'm, I'm set. Uh, there is a working of our salvation that comes along, and, and the word is a, is a source in that working out process. Um, so he says, uh, laying aside all filthiness. Um, this is a vivid word picture here. This is like an IMAX 3D in your face kind of picture he's trying to paint here. Uh, James is saying to take off your filthy attitudes and actions or moral defilement just as you would your old smelly dirty clothes, you know, and you throw them in the hamper. You know, uh, you know, even Febreze isn't going to do it, you know. <laughs> just wash those things. Or throw, sometimes you got to throw them away. <laughs> we won't talk about that. No. <laughs> um, the picture is like a snake that sheds off its own dead skin. Okay? Uh, and the phrase put aside literally, literally means to put or take something away from its normal, loca- normal location and thus to put it out of the way. Uh, it is literally used for runners who participate in the Olympics and in, in running games where they would take off and even cast aside their clothes and then run almost completely naked in the stadium to win that prize. You know, that's, that's commitment there, you know. <laughs> I don't know what else you can call that. Um, and that's the visual picture that, that James is giving us here, using in the, word, the word here. Um, there are nine uses of this putting aside in the New Testament. Um, Matthew, Acts, Romans, Ephesians, there's uh, nine, nine uses of it. In uh, most of these uses, it is used as an ethical exhortation calling for the reader to deprive him or herself of some undesirable attitude or an action when it's being used. Um, James says that our filthy, wicked actions are like uh, soiled garments which need to, need to be put away or put aside once and for all. Like I was saying earlier, you know, sometimes you got to throw them away. <laughs> Those, you know, when mom, mom would find, hey, you know... You, Calzones, you got to <laughs> throw in the trash. <laughs> Don't pull them out. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the idea, literally the idea here. Um, using another analogy, it's as if uh, James saw the human heart as a garden 
uh, if left to itself, the soil of our wicked hearts inherited by Adam would produce only weeds. Uh, James, as a good spiritual gardener, is urging us to pull out those weeds and prepare the soil for that implanted word of God. And we see the word of God throughout scripture as, as a seed that's being planted in soil. And we're going to kind of get into that a little bit in a bit. Um, it's the idea of preparation, getting rid of something old and useless in order to bring in something that's new and beneficial to us. Um, a good question to ask ourselves even tonight is, how's our garden doing? You know, not the one at home on the side of the yard, but <laughs> I'm sure that, that one's good too. But spiritually speaking, how is our garden in our hearts growing? You know, how's the soil? What's the condition of our soil? You know, it's not an easy thing for us to look at. Um, at times. Uh, so he says all wickedness, uh, that word all uh, means all without exception. Uh, this adjective modifies both filthiness and wickedness. Um, it, it means every instance of filthy, filthiness and wickedness. Um, you know, we see here God is not satisfied with a partial purity in our lives. You know, that's not what, what satisfies him. Um, However, we're also not to misunderstand, James is not speaking about spiritual perfection here. Rather, he's speaking to believers uh, who can now confess their sins to the Father and be cleansed from unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. You know, it says, do not sin, but when we do sin, we can come before God and confess our sins. So the idea is, yeah, we're not living the old lifestyle, but we're not perfect. We're human beings. We are going to sin, and that's why John says, when you do sin, we have the advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So that's what he's speaking of there. Um, the word filthiness literally means dirt or filth, uh, like we said, used to describe dirty garments, but is clearly used uh, metaphorically by James to describe moral uncleanness or impurity, uh, also a state of moral corruption on a moral level. Um, overflow of wickedness. Uh, the word overflow sounds like a verb, but it actually is not. Uh, the King James is a more literal rendering it as superfluity of naughtiness. Um, another translation is can be even more graphic, a superabundance of evil. So, um, you know, think of the most evil thing you can think of. I don't know, ISIS or whatever, you know, whatever you can think of. That's kind of the idea. There's a superabundance of evil that, that abounds and, and James is telling us to get rid of that in our hearts. Um, the idea is that of wickedness uh, present in abundance and therefore abounding. Uh, James is painting a graphic picture here, uh, especially considering that he's speaking to new Christians here, new creation, creations in Christ, the first, fu first fruits among his creatures. Um, the word overflow uh, is a noun which means, like we said, an abundance, a superabundance, um, that which is over and above, something that is beyond the ordinary, and that which is an exceeding measure or greater than expected amount. You know, when you're baking or cooking, and hey, you know, you pour a little too much, and you know, it's all over the counter. It's it's more than you expected. Um, in Ecclesiastes, the word conveys uh, the sense of a gain or a profit. <coughs> As, as in money. Um, throughout Ecclesiastes, he speaks a lot about riches and, and the effects of it in life, and, and that's kind of the idea there. Um, the word is used in striking contrast in the New Testament uh, with two of the uses describing an abundance of grace and an abundance of joy 
And here in James, we have an abundance of wickedness. So it can be used in, in contrasting terms. Um, four uses of this word overflow are found in the New Testament. We see it in Romans 5.17, uh, 2 Corinthians 8.2, 2 Corinthians 10.15, and James 1.21. I would go over all of them, but there's uh, so much to cover. I'm just going to kind of rattle them off. And if you want, take notes, and you can look at them later because we're going to try to uh, get through the whole chapter. Uh, the word wickedness here refers to the quality of wickedness and thus in a moral sense means depravity, vice, or baseness. Um, we see it in 1 Peter 1.16 as an example. Uh, it is the opposite of moral excellence and all virtue, and therefore it lacks a social value. Uh, it implies uh, vicious disposition, evilness, ill will, spitefulness. Um, surprisingly, there are only 11 uses of this word in the New Testament. And in reference to behavior, uh, the word conveys the idea uh, of a mean-spirited or a vicious attitude uh, by, indicated by words such as malice, ill will, hatefulness, and dislike. Uh, it is an attitude of wickedness that is an evil habit in one's mind. Okay, uh, it's used in the New Testament to describe the wickedness which comes from within a person. Uh, malice describes a vicious intention and expresses the desire to hurt another person, but also to rejoice in that. You know, some people really uh, enjoy seeing other people uh, hurting other people, and then they get a kick out of that. You know, um, you know, so that's kind of the idea there. Uh, Peter uses the same word in a parallel passage, uh, very similar to ours. Uh, the whole idea being preparation for receiving the, the pure word. Um, and actually, I'm going to flip over to there real quick. First uh, Peter 2, chapter 1. Uh, he says, therefore, uh, laying aside all malice, there's that word, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You know that the preparation work is followed by a command for immediate action. He's, you know, he's saying, prepare your, your hearts and then do this, the pure milk of the word, so that by it we might grow in respect, uh, in respect for the word of God and for salvation. You know, uh, it's hard to miss the illustration of a baby who does not take in the pure milk and will not grow. You know. Um, that's the level they're at. That's the level they have to eat. And if they don't, you know, if you try to feed them, you know, asada or something, they're not going to intake it and, and they're not going to eat and they're not going to grow and they're not going to develop. And even, even death can occur, you know, and that's, that's the tragic state of somebody who doesn't, uh, grow in not only that, but also mature in the word. Um, it says, now notice that, uh, Peter is presenting the same principle spiritually about the need to cast off sin so that we can have a longing for the pure milk of the word. You know, Peter, in the passage we read, it's very similar to ours tonight. You know, you get rid of something in order that you can take in the pure word. You know, it's that whole uh, theme uh, that you see throughout the New Testament. Um, you know, there's a saying that goes, separate yourselves Separate yourselves from the world, then saturate yourself in the word. And I, I like that. You know, it's a reminder to self. 
you know, in that order. Separate yourself from the world, then you can saturate yourself in the word and the things of God. You know, if we don't separate ourselves, it's like oil and water. They just don't mix. You know, you, you don't want to read or hear the word when you're not separating yourself from the world. You know, when you're living a lifestyle that you're not supposed to, like in the world, you don't want to just throw on that praise CD and you don't want to just hear that Bible study. You know, that's just not where your mindset is at or your heart or your attitude is at, you know. So there is that that idea of preparation and then receiving. So that's what he's speaking of. Uh, and in essence, uh, James is saying to let personal sin be cleansed so that we can hear uh, before the word of God can be effectively welcomed into our lives, the hindering sins must be dealt with. Uh, now, keep in mind, as we said earlier, we're not talking about spiritual perfection here. Jeremiah 17.9 says that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. So of all the things in the world that are deceitful, the number one thing is our own hearts. You know, that's why it says above all things. So we can't even fully understand or know it. And it's, we know ourselves pretty well most of the time. And even we don't fully understand our hearts. You know, just we think when we think we've dealt with sin in our lives, God reveals a whole new dark corner of our hearts that we didn't even know existed. And usually this happens as we're trying and attempting to get closer to God. God revealed as the brighter the light gets, the more junk you see. You know, it's like those those mirrors, you know, at Target in the makeup aisle. I'm not telling you why I go down that aisle. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you go down the aisle and they have those really bright mirrors and you lo- I, I look in them and it's trippy because you can see every little pore in your face, you know, and, <laughs> and I, I trip out. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the brighter the light gets, the more imperfections you see. And that's actually the literal picture uh, James is going to give us here with a mirror. And we're going to get into that in a, in a little bit. <laughs> but uh, it's for acne scrub, I promise. <laughs> not those new Katy Perry lashes. It's not that. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but not really. No. Um, so we also know that God's word is described as a cleansing agent in the scripture, that it continues to cleanse us. John fifteen three, Jesus says, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. God's word is what cleanses us, and that's an ongoing uh, process in our lives. Um, so the idea being portrayed here by James is to remove those sins, those attitudes, those practices that we know are preventing us from receiving the word of God and all of its power. Because there's still going to be corners of our hearts that God has yet to reveal to us. But today, what do we know that is hindering? And, you know, and that's the idea that he's giving us here to get rid of those things. <clears throat> you know, it's really easy to develop wrong attitudes uh, of anger towards God, you know, especially after a trial. Uh, you know, and God's really been speaking to me a lot about this uh, lately. Even last night on my way home on the, you know, K-Wave, you know, the study was talking about that just sometimes our attitudes towards God after a trial, you know, it, it, it um, it varies. We can either, there's that saying, you can either become bitter or you can become better. I don't think it's a coincidence that James is urging us to put away the wrong attitudes right after he deals with the subject of trials here. You know, because after a trial, it's really easy to come out of it with, with the wrong attitude towards God. You know, that's why James 1, 2 says to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. You know, because it's very easy to go the opposite way of that. And even after a trial, when, okay, you... Okay, God, I think it's starting to become behind, get behind me. Uh, 
you know, sometimes it's easy to have that wrong attitude towards God. And he's saying, let's get rid of those attitudes so we can continue to grow. Um, <coughs> so then verse 21b, the latter part of 21, uh, says, receive with meekness the implanted word. Uh, not weakness, but meekness. Uh, you know, notice that James places the prepositional phrase with meekness before the verb receive, emphasizing that the inner attitude uh, must prepare the soil for the fruitful reception of the seed of the word. You know, so it, there's a reason even in grammar here for the order of, of words. You know, once again, it's that prep, pre, uh, preparing of the heart, preparing of the soil. Uh, the word humility uh, describes the quality of not being overimpressed by one sense of of self. You know, salud. <laughs> um, it's the quality of gentle friendliness, gentleness, uh, meekness, consideration, uh, restrained patience, uh, patient trust in the midst of difficult circumstances. Uh, the essence of this word humility is the opposite of of anger, even towards God. Uh, in, in our verse here, it's the humble and gentle attitude which expresses itself in a patient submissiveness uh, to offense, free from malice and desire for revenge. Uh, there's 11 uses of it in the New Testament. Um, Warren Wearsby once said, when you receive the word with meekness, you accept it, you do not argue with it, you honor it as the word of God. You do not try to twist it or conform it to your own thinking. You know, and that's That's some good good stuff there um he says to receive uh it means to uh accept or to welcome something uh the idea to take something into one's hand and to grasp it to be receptive to somebody uh have a favorable attitude towards something you know to have have a a good attitude about it you know not being so closed uh minded or or hearted towards something um this word receives means to accept with a deliberate and ready reception of what is offered to receive kindly and so to take to oneself what is presented or brought by another. It means to welcome a teacher, a friend, or a guest into one's house. Um, the word here is accept. It describes accepting the word of God with open arms, minds, and hearts. You know, that's the idea there. Then uh, this is how we are to be. You know, it's an ongoing reminder to ourselves. Um, uh, it, it pictures the follower of Christ as putting out the welcome mat for God's word of truth as one would for a good friend or a guest, you know, inviting them into your house. You know, someone comes over, you, you know, make sure you sweep the front steps and, you know, even the first impressions, you want them to be good, you know, and, and that's the idea there with uh, welcoming God's word into our lives and into our hearts the way we would welcome a good friend into our home. Um, even when Rahab welcomed the spies, it's that same word of welcoming. Um, it indicates that the reception of the word of God is to be a voluntary and willing act uh, as part of the reader or the hearer. Um, you know, it's it's voluntary. It's not involuntary. You don't just hear the word and automatically receive it. it there's a voluntary, specific action that takes place. Um, the saints at Berea are a great illustration of this for the meaning of of, uh, of receive here, 
where it says that they received the word with great eagerness and ready and willing to learn, and they also checked daily the scriptures if these things were so. So that's Acts 17.11. That's a really good example of, of the word receive here in, in context of receiving the word. Um, you know, the the readers here of, of James's letter, are they needed to go beyond the passive hearing of the statements of the word of God um, and welcome it as an active working force in their lives. You know, they had to offer their hearts as the good soil in which the implanted word could readily grow. And that's what he's trying to get at here. Um, we're not, we are to receive the word of God, not merely as head knowledge, but in our hearts as something that we live out, you know, not just something that we memorize. Um, and then this word here for receive is actually found 56 times in the New Testament. So what are we to receive? The implanted word um, as we move on. The word implanted here uh, is to generate, it's pr- to produce, to bring forth, uh, to let something grow. Um, the literal picture was that of planting a seed in the ground uh, and figuratively it's used by James as the seed of the word of God in a figurative uh, sense. Uh, in his parable of the seed in the in, in the sower, uh, Jesus explains that the seed is the the seed in the good soil, uh, where the ones who heard the word uh, in an honest and good heart held it fast and they bore fruit, you know, and that's that's the idea there, uh, in Luke eight and also in Matthew thirteen. Um, so we're to receive the implanted word, the word for word here, <laughs> uh, logos. Um, it, it can mean something that is said, communication with words. Um, and although Logos is often translated uh, by Webster as something that is spoken or uttered, uh, the Greek understanding of the word Logos is a lo- little bit more complex. Uh, in the present context here of our text, uh, word is used to stand for the scripture in general. That's, that's what it's referring to. Um, so the implanted word, which is able to save our souls, uh, the word able here, uh, it's conveying the basic meaning that uh, it has the ability to do something or accomplish something. You know, um, it's able to, it's capable of to be strong enough or have the power to do something. You know, God is able, um, his word is able to do the otherwise impossible, which the ultimate impossibility would be to save our souls, you know? Uh, and if, if God's God, and in fact, God's word is more than able to save us from our condition and our fallen state. Um, you know, and if it can save us from the wrath of God, how much more can it do, you know, as we live out our lives in faith? Um, you know, it's really us who limits the abilities of the word at times. Uh, it's able to save uh, the word save has the basic meaning of uh, rescuing somebody from, from danger. It also means to protect, to keep alive, to preserve life, to deliver, to make somebody whole. Um, in short, to save means to make a person whole and complete in every respect. Uh, and this is what the word of God is able to do. It delivers the believer from the destructive consequences of sin. And it really, for the first time in our lives, makes us whole. You know, a lot of times we've, in the past, we may have tried to, to fill our lives with things to complete us, to make us 
uh, fulfilled or to make us feel complete. And God's word is really the only thing that can ultimately do that. Um, You know, why often do we forsake the well of the word and its living water and make for ourselves broken cisterns that hold no water? Jeremiah 2.13, the Lord says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and they have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know, it's that, that idea there. Um, you know, from the context, uh, we know that James is speaking to those who have been born again, uh, for he has, had just written that, uh, in his will, he brought us forth, you know, through the word of truth so that we can be the first fruits of his creature. So he's speaking to the believer here. He's speaking to us, those of us that are believers. Um, James had already mentioned the new birth in James 1.18. So what is implied uh, is the present process of salvation uh, from sin as the believer continues to grow and mature spiritually. Um, you know, and I think a lot of times, sometimes we as believers, I think we can have kind of a, a wrong understanding of, of the scope of salvation. Um, you know, none of us would argue that all men need the word to be saved. You know, we'll, we'll, yeah, that's a given. Um, but I think a lot of us sometimes, and I'll even speak for myself, we, we lose sight of the real, the important truth that believers, uh, here in this place called earth, (laughs) um, we're still in harm's way, you know, from the flesh, uh, from, uh, from the enemy, uh, to tempt us. And therefore we're in continual need of the saving power of the word of truth, you know, that we might grow in grace. You know, I think we forget that there's power in the word, uh, not just to save a person, but to continually uh, grow us in in grace, really. Um, This fact serves to emphasize uh, why it's really critical that, you know, even in the last days, we have to exercise discernment uh, and abstain, like the scriptures say, from the winds of doctrine uh, uh, and the lay hold of the found, uh, foundation on the, of the church. Um, you know, if there was ever a time to give the utmost priority to the pure milk of the word of God, it's in these last days, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of weird whacked out teachings that go out, you know, in these last days. And if there's ever a time for us to really get serious about, about what we believe in now is, is the time. Uh, our spiritual health even depends on it, you know, with all the crazy junk that goes around, you know, it's, it's kind of like when all that's available is junk food, you know, it's even more so you have to watch what you eat and, and, and make sure you're, you know, getting enough, you know, roughage or whatever and veggies and all to, to keep yourself healthy. You know, it's the same idea with the word, uh, with all the, the spiritual McDonald's that's out there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, looks good in the ad, but once you order it, it's not that big. <laughs> um, so that's able to save our souls. The word soul here, um, it's, it's the breath and then that which breathes. It's the individual. It's the animated creature, the person as a whole. It's talking about who that person is. Um, you know, in our present context, the soul is the part of the man or the woman that wills and thinks and feels 
or in other words, the willpower, the reason, the emotions, and the personality with all its activities, hopes, and aspirations. Um, kind of like, I haven't seen it yet, but that movie that's coming out, that Pixar one about everything that goes on in your head, uh, inside out, you know, that's kind of the idea. That is the soul. That's the person, who they are. All the thoughts and ideas and emotions and things that are in that person, that's what the word soul here is talking about. <clears throat> um, the soul is the principle of individuality. Uh, every believer is involved in an intense spiritual battle for the soul, a battle that Peter highlights uh, exhorting his uh, readers who were being tested in 1 Peter 2.11. <clears throat> so moving on, uh, verse 21, we're going to go on to verse 22 now, where he says, uh, for be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Uh, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. Um, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, uh, for uh, it could be translated because, you know, whenever you see the word for or because, um, it de determines that the writer is going to explain something. Uh, James is explaining what a, is about to explain what a non-doing hearer of the word is like in order to drive home his point here. And he uses a familiar illustration of a man or a woman who looks at their face in the mirror, uh, where the mirror is metaphorically speaking of the word of God. Uh, James gives a second illustration uh, of the description for the non-doing hearer uh, using the picture also with the unbridled tongue, which we'll get into. Um, so... If anyone is a hearer, anyone, meaning uh, somebody in this case who is identified uh, by the action of listening to the word but failing to obey what he or she has heard. Uh, this individual is a person, uh, personal illustration for the danger that James is going to warn us about in the next verse. Um, the word hearer uh, describes one who hears uh primarily, excuse me, primarily to the sounds of hearing, you know, you can hear something. It's like, you know, when you're a kid and your mom says, you know, are you listening to me? There's a difference between hearing and, you know, listening. You might hear audible sounds coming out of her mouth, but <laughs> are you actually listening to the words that are being said, you know? Um, and then shortly after that comes the slap. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just got a flashback. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Followed by snap out of it. No, <laughs> but any, anyway, it's in the past. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. But the uh the word word once again, logos, which we kinda went over. Um uh like we said, it stands for scripture in general. Uh and, and a, a doer of the word, it describes a, the word doer here describes a maker, a producer, a performer, in short, one who does what is he is prescribed in the word or an example could be like a doer of the law like in romans chapter two uh he is like a man who observes his natural face in the mirror uh the word man here is the word for an adult male but can also be used generally for all persons or mankind in general uh which is clearly the use in this context especially since women look at their face more than men <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> 
Just kidding. <laughs> but not really. <laughs> um, looks at uh, means literally to put the mind down, your mind down onto something and to observe it uh, carefully and to consider it attentively. Uh, it means to fix one eye, one's eyes or mind on something very clearly. Um, his natural face, uh, it literally means the face of his genesis. Uh, natural is the word here is genesis. And what they mean by that, it, it could be, you know, your origin, your lineage of birth. But in the context here, the idea is the face, uh, the way it really looks. You know, that's, that's your face. <laughs> you know, that's, that's your natural face. That's how it looks. That's the face you were born with, <laughs> pretty much. Some people don't have the face they were born with but nowadays, but, but that's the idea. <laughs> as you might have seen in recent news. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. <laughs> um, mirror. The word mirror here uh, is that which one looks into uh, and in context is a looking glass or a mirror. In ancient times, mirrors were not as we think of them today, but they were often, a, you know, you don't just go to Ikea and buy a, you know, squiggly mirror that looks like a piece of bacon, you know. <laughs> but back, back then, though, a mirror uh, was often a piece of flat metal, bronze, sometimes even silver or gold, uh, which had been polished to reflect one Im- one's image. Ever seen like a tin-type photograph from the Civil War era? Um, it's a polished piece of metal that you can actually um, expose a photograph onto, and you can kind of see your reflection in it. So Mirrors back then were different than the mirrors we have today. It was a piece of metal, you know. And uh, uh, James's main point in the illustration of the man and the mirror is that this man quickly forgets what he saw in the mirror. The mirror is not at fault here. Uh, it does not give a false picture, but shows the man what he is really like. Um, figuratively, it speaks of showing what his heart or his inner person what his character looks like, something that a literal, excuse me, a literal mirror cannot visualize. Uh, you know, nobody blames the mirror for a blemish. Instead, action is usually immediately made uh, and, and fixed. You know, like for me, like if I see something, okay, I need to put some cream lotion or something on that. Uh, if I don't take care of it right then and there, I'm going to forget. You know, I go my way and I get busy with work and at the end of the day, you're in bed. Oh, shoot, I forgot to treat that and now it hurts more you know on my pillow here you know so that's kind of the idea so as an illustration i thought we should listen to michael jackson's man in the mirror no i'm just kidding <laughs> we'll carry in the books are after <laughs> jesus honor that <laughs> i'm just kidding but you know i couldn't help but think of the song though you know, in a way i mean not to get into it but it's it's kind of that idea you know you look in the mirror he's saying and you make that change you know and that's that's the idea you look inwardly at yourself as a person you know, so that's that's kind of the idea. That's, couldn't help but have that song in my head. Um, um, John Bunyan, Bunyan points out that when a person honestly and humbly looks into the Word of God, he will see two things. One is his own sin, and the other thing is his sinless Savior and Lord. You know, those are the two things that we are to see when we look in the mirror. When such a person sees and responds to Christ and then lives out the word, that person will be blessed in his or her doing. Um, you know, to every hearer, the word of 
the true word of God is a mirror. Um, you know, sometimes people use it to paint a pretty picture, you know, in the word, but it's really an honest picture. Not saying it's all doom and gloom, but it is just an honest picture. Um, <clears throat> you know, we're not to design or sketch our own interpretation of the mirror, but simply to present uh, the truth of God. Uh, we are hold up, to hold up the mirror to nature uh, in a moral and spiritual sense and let men and ourselves see things as they are. Um, We don't even have to make the mirror. All we got to do is just hold it up. <laughs> you know, that's, that's our responsibility here. You know, the thoughts are God's thoughts. They're not our thoughts. Um, you know, and they are, they are to be set before the hearer's minds. Uh, and these allow man to discover himself. So we don't have to play the role of the Holy Spirit. You just present the word and God deals with the person. You know, uh, the, the word of God, it's the revealer of, of the innermost depths of the heart. You know, it shows mankind his life, his thoughts, his hearts, his inmost self. Um, you know, there's a, there's a story of an of a eloquent uh, radio preacher, uh, and he visited an African uh, tribal chief, and he presented him with a mirror. And the, the chief uh, wondered who, what that ugly image was, but then he realized it was himself, and he smashed the mirror. Uh, you know, he just didn't know that's what he looked like. He surprised himself. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know, and 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 um, you know, but as we look into God's, uh, yeah, we look into it and we see our sin, we see the ugliness of who we are. But at the same time, when we look at God's word, do we see ourselves as God sees us as well? You know, our ugliness has been transformed into the beauty of Christ's likeness, you know. Um, so there's the two sides to it. Um, and we are able to grow in his likeness from that point on once we see how, how God sees us, you know. Um, our ugliness has, like we said, has been transformed and, and what do you see, what do we see when we look into the mirror of Scripture? You know, do we hesitate to read the Bible because it shows us the ugly appearance or our unbelief? Or do we read it gratefully seeing ourselves as God sees us, you know, uh, as his spiritual reborn child who is becoming more and more like his beloved son? Um, you know, having Christ in our lives makes that difference. You know, the world doesn't want the word because it just shows the negative, but God shows us both sides, the negative and positive of the equation. Yeah, it shows us our sin, but it also shows us uh, how he sees us. Um, You know, I used to personally used to view the Bible only as a mirror, you know, and it would actually kind of discourage me at times to read it because, yeah, it tells you how bad you are, you know. Um, I was only able to see the ugliness of my heart, but now I see myself also as God sees me with the righteousness of his son imputed on me. Cause I know that in and of myself, I'm not righteous, but when I see how God sees me and it's all about his son's righteousness in me, um, that keeps me from being discouraged when I look at my reflection in the word. Cause I can also see how God sees me and what he wants me to become, you know? So that's, you know, if anything, I, I just hope that can be an encouragement. Cause I know it was for me once I realized that, um, The word of God is the only mirror that can actually transform our appearance, (laughs) you know, if you think about it. Um, You know, many people criticize the Bible because the Bible criticizes them, but they're only seeing the negative side of the equation. They don't see 
what God uh, has for them and how he sees them if they accept the goodness of his grace, you know. And and I, I think that's an important thing. Even if you're witnessing to somebody, don't don't just show them the negative that, yeah, yeah, you're a sinner, this and that, but also God wants to bring you out of that lifestyle and he has so much more for you. You got to show them both sides of the equation, an honest picture, because I think showing them only the negative too is not an honest image as well. You got to show them both sides. Um, what God wants to transform them into. Um, a very constant companion for people when we travel is our GPS nowadays. It used to be the Thomas Guide, but now it's the GPS. You know, we have them on our phones or you have them installed in your car. You go buy them at Target, whatever. But it's, it's a very common uh, companion now for travel. Um, you know, and on our journeys, our, the GPS is our, like we said, it's a constant companion. And we go to it many times a day, especially if you're in an area that you're not familiar with. Um, you know, we, a lot of times we can't get along without it if we're on the East Coast or something and we've never been there or never driven there. Um, good friends of mine, they recently were on the East Coast, uh, and I didn't know they, they didn't know how to use a GPS. And every day they would call me and just say that they lost so much time today, you know, trying to find where they were going to, and there was so much stress and this and that. And I said, I wish you guys would have told me because I would have shown you on, it's easy, you know, Google Maps, whatever, how to, you guys would have saved so much time and, and stress today. So uh, I said, as soon as you guys get home, we're going driving, and I'm <laughs> going to show you because <laughs> you shouldn't have to, you know, waste all that time. You, you can enjoy yourselves more get more for your money on your trip, you know, um, you know, and for, for us as believers, the Bible is to be our GPS for our spiritual journey. Uh, and also much more as a matter of fact, it's described, the Bible describes itself as many things. Uh, it describes it as sweeter than honey in the Psalms. Uh, it's a lamp for our feet and the light to our path. Usually just enough to know the next step, you know, <laughs> the lamp for our feet you know just so make sure i don't fall down those steps and then after that i take the next step um it's seen as uh, as a fire to burn away our sin and purify our hearts uh it's known as a hammer to break our hardened hearts um it's likened as water which is a life source and i think that's a really important key to if once you view the bible as a life source and not so much it's not a book, it's not text, it's not even just a list of rules or something to memorize, but it, you see it as a life source that really changes the effects in, in your life, I think. It, it, I know it did for me. <clears throat> it's seen as a, a sword, and in fact, a double-edged sword. One side to cleanse us, and the other side to convict us. You know, there's kind of like the mirror, there's the two sides. <clears throat> Ephesians 5 talks about that. Um, sorry, Ephesians 6. Uh, it's likened as solid food for, to, to uh, mature the Christian. And it's also seen as a mirror, uh, like we saw today, to see our faults, to correct them. Uh, milk, to nourish the new Christian. So it has many, many uh, uses, you know, kind of like a Swiss Army knife. It's just, it, it has all the different uh, tools, you know, depending on your situation. But it's likened to many things. Um, I'm going to read a quote real quick. It says, Like the highway traveler, we as Christians are on a long and sometimes hazardous journey. We face many decisions and we'll have many needs on our pilgrimage to paradise. 
the Bible has given to us, has been given to us to help us make those decisions and to meet those needs. It should be our constant companion, studied diligently and consulted often along the way. We can't do without it. Um, Good stuff. It always points the believer in the right direction. You can count on that. So going back to our text here, it says uh, back in verse uh, 23. I'm sorry, verse 24, moving on. Uh, For once he has looked at himself or observes himself and he goes away, he immediately forgets what kind of uh, man he was. Um, what's important is not how many times you've been through the Bible, but how many times has the Bible and how thoroughly has the Bible been through us? You know, um, we can hear the same thing over and over, but there's a difference, you know, uh, where something really just hits home with you and, and it really has an effect on how you live your days, you know, and, and your, your lifestyle that goes a lot further than just, reading your which is fine you know your five chapter ten chapters whatever a day but if you're just going through the bible and it's not going through you you know there god's more much more interested in the latter um so it says looked he looked at himself or observed himself in the mirror uh it means literally to put the mind down on something like we said to look at it carefully to fix one eyes on it clearly. Um, and it says he's gone away. It, he's departed. He's moved away from his point of reference. And he's walking away, in this case, from the mirror. Um, and, and actually, this idea of, of going away or walking away uh, carries the thought of leaving permanently. You know, it it's actually has a kind of a long-term effect to the word. Um, he does not, this person here does not want to return to the word because uh, it exposes him for what it is and, and he, he um, is discouraged by it and doesn't want to, to look further. Um, he immediately forgot what kind of person he was. Um, you know, the, the person fails to obey what the word tells them to do. Um, thinking that hearing is the same as doing when it is not. Um, sometimes we Christians will enjoy will, or will substitute reading for actually doing, you know, and even talking for doing, you know, we'll talk about it, but we're, you know, it's not an active uh, thing in our lives here. Um, you know, we'll even have our conferences and our meetings and our, you know, in topics, you know, and, and we think we've made progress. Uh, while there are certain, certainly nothing wrong with conferences and meetings and things, um, they are out of place when they are a substitute for service. Um, Jerry Bridges once said, as we search the scriptures, we must allow them to search us. Um, so then it says that he immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Uh, immediately means right at once, straight away, and he's forgotten. It means uh, to not remember something, pretty pretty obvious. Um, and, and tragically, forgetfulness um, has always uh, 
plagued a large number of, of uh, people, especially even in the New Testament. You know, there's a lot of examples of forgetfulness of the things of God. We see that throughout the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament, um, and as well as the New. But if, you know, you ever have the time and you study through the Old Testament, uh, a lot of this, these uh, instances of forgetfulness deal with Israel. Um, you know, and, and it says that they forgot the Lord their God and they forgot the things of, of their God. And, and it's a really tragic thing when you study their lives and the things that come along with forgetting, forgetfulness of the things of God. And that's what this person is doing here. He's a forgetful hearer and he immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Um, you know, James is not describing a person with poor memory, <laughs> but rather a person with poor priorities. Um, you know, he doesn't remember what he saw in the mirror because it's not really important to him. You know, he doesn't regard it as a high priority. God, heaven, eternal uh, self, life, salvation, all of these other things in the Bible, it's interesting, it it's, sounds nice, but this person has a career to pursue, you know, or other cares uh, in life, you know. He's got money to make, and there's nothing wrong with money, there's nothing wrong with the career, but... Um, you know, or he may have hobbies or things, which there's nothing wrong with those either. Um, but when we forget what God's word says about life um, and about these issues and sin and salvation, um, you know, to this person, it's just not as important compared to the, his other priorities in life. Um, And, and like we said earlier, the problem of forgetting God is a frequent theme in the Old Testament. Moses warned Israel in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. Um, he says, Af- after they got into the land, he says, watch yourself and do not forget the Lord who has brought you out of the land of Egypt to the house of slavery. So we put a lot of emphasis, do not forget. You know, um, Just two chapters later, Deuteronomy 8, Moses repeats, he says, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness uh, these 40 years that he might humble you. Um, There's other references too in the Psalms. uh, You know, God's people are to forget none of his benefits. uh, Remember God's abundant uh, kindness, you know, in the wilderness. Um, so there's a lot of references and commands to not forget the things of God. Um, and Israel in the Old Testament, you know, they didn't have a memory problem either. They, they had a priority problem. You know, uh, God's commandments weren't all that important to them. And, and they had other things that were more pressing. Um, you know, going back to the whole parenting thing, <laughs> which I'm not, but I've been the subject of a... <laughs> parenting <laughs> but uh you know all parents experience this with their children you know you have to ask them to clean their room and you come back in an hour and they're playing nintendo or whatever uh and the room hasn't been cleaned and you say i thought i told you to clean your room and they say oh i forgot you know right you know <laughs> it's not that the child has a memory problem you know or has alzheimer's or something but Cleaning the room just isn't a on, high on their list of priorities. That's the reason why. So, like when you say, "Oh, I forgot," that's really what it wasn't a priority, and that's the same idea here. Um, 
And it says he forgets what kind of man he was, what sort of man. That speaks of the quality of a person. Um, <clears throat> you know, this man looked into the mirror and saw clearly he had a character flaw, but neglected the word and moved on. This person does not allow the word to make any impact on his character. Uh, he does not want to change his character because it might affect some value he holds dearly, contrary to God's plan for his life. Um, And it says, but in contrast, um, with the non-doing hearer of the word here, uh, he who looks intently, uh, moving on to verse 25, or looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, uh, looks intently means to stoop or bend uh, beside or even sideways to look into. Um, even sometimes, you know, with a bent head or you're, you know, you're leaning over out the window or whatever to, to see what's going on, um, to recognize something. Uh, James says that this man bends over as if it was in order to make a, a, a really intense look in the mirror of God's word of truth. And when he notices a blemish, uh, on his face, <laughs> uh, he takes time to deal with the defect, which in, context here is is sin and other things in his life um there are five uses of this looking intently in the new testament uh and some of these are even uh used uh when stooping even to see the tomb where jesus was emphasizing that it doesn't mean a casual quick look you're looking intently uh at something um looking at uh looks at the perfect law of liberty you know in it's basically saying that the law of the lord is perfect um it is complete and expressive uh of totality it meets the highest standard which is perfection uh and it's described as perfect here and then the word perfect here really means fully mature or having reached an, reached an intended goal. Um, the law, which in context stands for the word of God in general, um, is a perfect reflection of the character of, of a holy God. Um, the idea of the perfect law uh, means implies soundness, wholeness, completeness, uh, reaching its end, wanting nothing. It is God's final word, and it is complete, embodying the full revelation of God in Christ Jesus. Um, David made a similar declaration in Psalm 19 when he says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, you know, and so forth, the, uh, enduring forever the judgments of the lord are true they are righteous more desirable than gold yes and fine gold sweeter than honey we mentioned that earlier uh, moreover uh in keeping them there is a great reward um looking into the law of liberty um calling the word here the law uh James is referring to an authoritative body of truth that is the foundation of the Christian faith. That's what he's referring to here. Um, 
you know, so it's not the law as in the Old Testament law, but as in uh, the authoritative word of truth for, for the faith. Um, and then he says the law of liberty, uh, that which is capable of movement, freedom to go wherever, wherever one likes is the idea for liberty, uh, describes the state of being free in opposition to slavery or bondage. Uh, but referring to the word as the law of liberty, James really is focusing on the redemptive power of freeing a believer from the, bo- from the bondage of sin and then freeing them to righteous obedience. Um, it allows us to serve God, not out of fear or mere sense of duty, but out of gratitude and out of love. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not the law that scares you, you know, when you're driving and the cops following you from behind, oh shoot, you know, my lights on, you know, you're like, it's a checklist in your head. That's not what the law of liberty is intended to be. Rather, it's, it's the word of God, which frees us to not have to be under the bondage of sin. You know, we're now free from sin. Um, you know all other liberty or the law of god is the royal law of liberty and all other liberty is not liberty really but is a bondage of servitude to sin you know people will say they have their liberty to do this or that but but you got to be careful too at times because that that can turn into a bondage and not so much a liberty um and he continues in it, or also the word abide could be the word here for continue. It means to remain uh, near or stay at somebody's side, um, a continuing a course of action. Um, to stand firm, to endure. Um, it can be found here uh, four times in the New Testament. Um for the word uh, remaining, you know, and, and he who abides by it, uh, not becoming a forgetful hearer, but a doer will be blessed in what he does. Um, which leads us kind of wrap almost to the end here. Um, oops. Not becoming a forgetful hearer, but an effective doer a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Um, That word hearer or to hear, um, like we said, you know, to audibly hear something, uh, forgetfulness, we already went over that, doer, someone who's actively doing something, this man will be blessed in what he does. Um, this man, James now presents the blessed promise of blessing of one's activities in our short life here on earth, life as it was meant to be lived in, in Christ. Uh, the word blessed here is depri- or taken from uh, the word which means to be happy, but not in the usual, usual sense of happiness based on our circumstances or you know, pot, good circumstances. Um, a blessed person... Describe the one describes the one who is free from daily cares and worries because his every breath and circumstance is in the hand of his maker who gives him such a, uh, assurance or such a blessing. The word here for blessed um, describes the kind of happiness that comes with receiving divine favor. Uh, b- blessed uh, is speaking of a state of prosperity that comes 
uh, when somebody who's superior bestows his favor or his blessing on somebody. Uh, the Greeks use this word blessed a lot uh, to refer to their gods, and thus the blessed ones uh, were the gods. Those were the only ones that could be blessed. And the reason was they were blessed was because they had achieved a state of happiness and contentment in life that they were beyond all cares, all labors, and even death. So they were above our regular worries of life. So therefore, they were blessed. So to be blessed, you had to be a god, basically. <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's uh, Homer actually used this this word for blessed to describe uh, a state unaffected by the world of men who are subject to poverty, weakness, and death. Uh, the Greeks also used the word blessed uh, in reference to the dead. They were the blessed ones. <laughs> you know, uh, men and women who through death had reached the other world of the gods and were now beyond the cares and problems and worries of our earthly life. So to be blessed, you had to be dead. <laughs> you know, a state which many of us... Uh, <laughs> have felt like we would just as well experience because of the nature of our troubles uh, and afflictions at the time, you know. So, so you had to either be a god or you had to be dead. And then finally, <laughs> the Greeks used blessed to refer to uh, the wealthy, the idea of being completely uh, free from uh, that their riches and power put them above the normal cares and problems uh, of the lower class, you know who struggled to, to scrape by in life. That was another way that they would use bless. So in short, the Greeks had to be, felt that you had to either be a god, you had to either be dead, or you had to be filthy rich to be blessed. <laughs> you know, and that's, you know, not very encouraging. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so we see another one of the words here, which is blessed, that the Bible actually elevates in status and in meaning as described below as uh, something that the Christian can actually be, you know. Uh, <clears throat> blessed means to be happy, blissful. The happiness is a divine pronouncement. It's a assured benefit for those who meet the conditions that God requires. You know, the Psalms state that over and over. Um, it's a state of existence in relationship to God in which a person is blessed from God's perspective, the only real perspective that matters. Um, even when he or she doesn't feel happy or isn't presently experiencing good, good times, you know, you, good times, bad times. Uh, but this does not mean, um, you know, that you need to live a life worthy of blessing. Rather, it's an acknowledgement that the ones, uh, we're talking about here are are blessed you know negative feelings absence of feelings or or difficult circumstances or or conditions uh even you know be they physical or whatever cannot take away from the blessedness of those who exist in such a relationship with god um and and the word blessed here ultimately describes the state in which those who believe in christ and in so possessing God, possess everything, you know. In addition, those uh, who have the Holy Spirit, you know, we have all we need in, in Christ. Um, so it says that he will be blessed in all that he does or in his doing. Um, kind of trying to finish up here because I think we're almost out of time. 
Uh, let's see if we can hammer through 26 and 27. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but re- deceives his own heart, this one religion is useless. Um, in context, we recall that James has just uh, rebuked hearing of the word that does not lead to doing of the word. Now, in a similar way, he rebukes religion as an external for show with religion that is internal and real in God's eyes, uh, for it reflects a genuine change in one's heart and inner life. Um, in this verse, James describes an individual whose religious thinking and real speaking and are self-deceptive and futile, uh, reflecting on the individual's lack of internal heart control. For out of the mouth comes that which fills the heart, as Matthew speaks about. Um, then in the next verse, James is going to go on to contrast the worthless religion of uh, uh, giving two, practic- two practical examples of personal application of God's word, uh, pure and undefiled religion in sight, the sight of God the Father. Uh, so if a person thinks that he is religious... Um, this picture here is not the picture of a hypocrite, but rather a self-deceived religionist. You know, somebody who's following all the rules but is self-deceived. Um, Solomon wrote of a similar uh, deception. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Uh, Paul adds to the warning, let no man deceive himself. Uh, you know, it, it's that if anyone thinks he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he, that he may become wise. Um, you know, bear one another's burdens and, and so forth. Um, you know, Romans, Paul says, uh, you know, in the context of, of spiritual gifts, he's saying not to let anyone think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly and humbly as God has allotted to each one faith. So uh, he says, if anyone thinks he's religious, this obviously means anyone, and, and the word think here means to presume uh, to be of the opinion uh, of one's state of personal religiosity. Um, you know, it's speaking of a self-deceiving individual continually forming the opinion that he or she is religious. Uh, and it is important that when a person is deceived by definition, they don't even realize it, you know. Um, it's like walking around with food on our face until a friend or someone reaches out and wipes away the sauce or whatever on your, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, another solution to reveal the food on the face stigma is to look in the mirror. And by analogy, it is also the solution for religion on one's face, so to speak, you know, the mirror, of course, being God's word, you know, um, which reveals our true condition for it looks not only the word doesn't look at our outward actions, but at the internal attitudes, the motives of the heart. Um, Paul recalls this searching, cleansing, edifying action of the word by saying that all the scripture is inspired by the word, by God, you know, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness and, and so forth. Um, so the word religious, if anyone thinks he's religious, um, it describes an individual who is preoccupied with religious observances, practices. Uh, you know, there are those uh, who are wonderfully religious. You know, butter would not melt in their mouths. They are so solemn, <laughs> you know, and, and so 
outwardly have it together, but inwardly, what's the motive of the heart? You know, um, and it says, "Yet he does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart." Um, discretion in speech is better than fluency of speech. Somebody once said, <laughs> "You know," uh, and the word "bridle" here—it's literally talking about uh, an animal or a horse, where you bridle or control the horse with the bit in their mouths. Um, David said, I will guard my ways. I will not sin with my tongue. Um, I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. Uh, someone once said, man's mouth, though it be a little opening, will open a whole world of sin. For uh, there is not any sin forbidden in the law or gospel, which is not spoken by the tongue as well as thought in the heart or done in the life. It is not then almost as difficult to rule the tongue as to is it not then almost as difficult to rule the tongue as it is to rule the world? Um, what does the scripture say? It's easier to take down a city than it is to control our tongues, you know? <coughs> James talks about that, and we're not really going to have time to go over it, but James uh, chapter 3, it's his handbook on tongue control. <laughs> uh, chap- verse 2 to 12, he, he lays it all out there. <coughs> um James ties in that what we are, t- uh, what we that what we say to what who we are in our inmost being, our control center, if you will, is our heart. Uh, you know, when the doctor examines us, one of the first things he does is say, "Stick out your tongue, so I can see the condition of your heart." <laughs> you know, and I just thought how interesting. You know, uh, the principle I think kind of applies in in the spiritual sense. You know. Our tongue is, from it comes a whole world of evil, and, and our tongue really determines what's in our heart. Out of the mouth, you know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, you know, but something to keep in mind is that tongue control is not possible by our natural power, but it requires supernatural Holy Spirit power and amazing life transforming grace. You know, and grace is very important because the scriptures talk about having grace on our tongue, you know. And, and you got to have God's grace in your life and a good understanding on it, I think, in order to speak grace to people. <laughs> yeah. Um, tongue, it's referring, it's literally the organ of the body for taste and for speaking, but it's used here as a metaphor for the act of speaking. And like we said earlier, the, the, or the act of bridling the one's tongue is not uncommon in Scripture. Like we said, James talks about it, Peter talks about it. Um, even in the Old Testament, there's references to it. Um, and then it says, uh, where are we? But deceives his own heart. The word but, it's speaking of contrast, uh, deceives um, that which gives a false impression, whether by appearance, uh, means to lead astray, mislead, cheat, delude, seduce into error, uh, to have misleading uh, views concerning the truth. Um, And it's saying this person does that to themselves. Um, Like we said, the word heart here, it's it's the center of human life. Spurgeon once said, an unbridled tongue indicates a godless heart. Um, So then it says that this man's religion is worthless. 
like we said earlier, we know what religion is we're speaking of. And when it says worthless, it's, it's vain, it's empty, it's devoid of, of force, it's useless, it's dead, fruitless, aimless. There's no uh, lasting value to it. Um, it's all in vain in this person here. Um, so then it goes on to say, we're going to finish it up here, last verse. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God the Father is this. So he's saying, if you really want to be religious, if you want to be spiritual, this is what we are to do. And then we're going to look at it in our last in our last verse here. <coughs> um, James accepts the need for, quote, religion here, but insists that religious observance, pure and undefiled with God and Father, uh, must unite the inner and the outward effects of the gospel here. Um, a living religion must know the reality of the divine life within as well as experience its energizing activity in the production of deeds, pure and faultless in daily conduct. Um, pure religion, religion that is free from wrong and unmixed with mo- unmixed, uh, unadulterated motives, other than the desire to be pleasing to God uh, and walk worthy of the Lord. Uh, pure religion is blameless, innocent, unstained by guilt. It's not driven by guilt. Um, the word pure here is speaking of clean, can speak of cleansing of the mind or the emotions or soul cleansing. Um, and here in this context, it's speaking of uh, a person whose heart in worship of God is in the right place here. Um, undefiled religion, meaning without contamination. The idea is free from that which uh, the nature of a thing is deformed or debased. Um, James says that undefiled religion is that which has not been soiled or stained by contact with moral or evil, and thus is of worth to God, acceptable to him. Um, I'm going to read a story really quick. It's a short story. It says, um, and I, I think it's a, it's a cool illustration to kind of emphasize the need for all of us as believers to have our garments uh, pure and undefiled. Um, as of, after a violent storm one night, a large tree, which over the years had become a stately giant, uh, was found lying across the pathway in a park. Uh, nothing but a splintered stump was left. Closer examination showed that it was rotten to the core because thousands of tiny insects had eaten away at its heart. The weakness of that tree was not brought by the sudden storm. It began the very moment the first insect nested in its bark. With the Holy Spirit's help, it says, you know, let us be careful to guard our hearts so that we can remain pure and undefiled oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. And, you know, a picture uh, that comes to mind is Psalms 1, verse 3, you know, the tree that is planted by the waters, that person will be blessed in what they do and it brings forth fruit in its season. Um, So once again, the word religion here, pure and undefiled religion, we kind of know what it's referring to. Um, uh, Worship, religious service. Um, And 
another word for it could be self-righteousness. You know, somebody that has an attitude of self-righteousness, that could be the, the term in the negative here when he's referring to religion. Um, a quote says, there is a great deal of pure and undefiled religion in the sight of man that is not pure and undefiled religion before God. Um, it's used uh, in the New Testament very often. Uh, and it says in, before God or in the sight of God um, or even by the side of God, in other words, from God's standpoint. Um, and, and when it speaks of, of God and the Father, um, in this context, it's the supreme deity, uh, you know, as, as our heavenly Father. Uh, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Uh, that is real religion that really preaches, you know. Um, combining pure hearts and pure outward lives. The genuine religion has two elements here. There's, there's the self-righteous religion, but then there's the genuine religion. There's two elements to it. Uh, one is kind and loving deeds. Uh, especially in helping the helpless, such as the widows, the orphans. Uh, and also, as we see in the verse, living pure, uh, unstained lives from, from the influence of the world. That, in God's eyes, is, is, is true religion. Now we're talking of the gene brand. <laughs> um, to, to visit orphans. Um, if, if you really look up the Greek when it's speaking of visiting orphans, it's speaking of more than just stopping by and saying hi, you know, <laughs> it really is. Uh, although that for some, that might be a good starting point, <laughs> you know, but uh, um, the idea is caring or showing concern. Uh, true religion cares for those who are weak, those who are helpless. And in, in the ancient world or, or in this, in, in uh, James's time, widows and orphans were in really difficult circumstances since they had no protector uh, or advocate. Uh, it says to visit them, uh, literally meaning to look upon, to see, to examine closely uh, the, the state of their affairs, to see how they're doing. You know, the idea of visiting is more than just a social call, so to speak. Um, You know, uh, visiting with the, the, the idea of caring and supplying uh, for those in need that are visited. Personal contact with the needy involves much more than, than charity, so to speak. Um, I mean, that's fine and all, but, but to actually uh, follow up even on someone's state of affairs. You know, how, how are they doing? Um, <coughs> uh, it expresses careful regard of those in position of responsibility. It depicts one uh, going to see with the intent, intent to render help. Uh, in some contexts, it means to have regard for, to care for, to be concerned about those in need. It's also used of visiting uh, the sick, those that are ill. Um, uh, the, pres the present context here calls for this practice to be our, our a habit of practice and are actually our fundamental attitude, not just an isolated act of doing good. You know, uh, have you ever, you know, have we ever visited those that are, don't 
have anyone to look after them or to, to defend them in their distress. You know, it's not just an isolated act of, of that. It's, it should be an ongoing attitude. Uh, You know, there's many uses of, of this in the New Testament. I'm not going to be able to go over all of them. Um, but this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God our Father. Uh, orphans and widows. Um, these two groups of people here were some of the most needy classes of people in James' time and also in our modern times. You know, when you bring up the orphan and the widow. Um they're actually found together only here in the New Testament, uh, but this combination is more frequently mentioned in the Old Testament, uh, to really to identify those who need help and need compassion. Um, the orphan, it's referring to uh, those without parents or a father, whether through death or abandonment. Um, And like we said earlier, the word visit here is more than just a social call, although it does include that. Uh, it comes from the same word as like overseer, describing the work of elders. It means to look out for, to care for, be concerned about, to show the concern for orphans and widows uh, requires that a person takes his focus off of, off of oneself and one's needs and to think about others and others' needs. Usually there's no paycheck when you care for the orphans and the widows. And in that society, they were poor and they were not able to work, you know. Um, what motivates us to care for them? Uh, we know they have needs. Uh, it, we are to apply the golden rule, you know, how we would want to be treated if we were in their situation. Um, and we do it to please God ultimately, who sent his son that we could be adopted in his family, you know, in those terms, you know. And when you communicate that to them, yeah, they may have been abandoned or they may not have the parents that they could have had or should have had, but, but God willingly wants to adopt them into his family, and that's the ultimate father figure they could have. Um, and the point is that when God's, root, God's word takes root in our hearts, it shifts our focus from ourselves to others. Um, you know, in a practical way to move on having good intentions here, uh, to actually obey the word and doing it is to actually put it in our schedules. You know, it's easy for us to say, Oh, I know to go, I need to go see so-and-so, you know, and encourage them or whatever, or take care of them. It's a great thought, but if we don't put it in our schedules, it's not going to happen, you know, uh, because most of us don't have a lot of free time. You know, some of us might, but a lot of us are really busy and, and, uh, you know, it's just, that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, Psalms, uh, ministering to the orphans uh, father for the fatherless a defender of the widows is god in his holy habitation you know that is the heart of god um i'm not going to read it but there's an account where in in brazil on the street the orphans and on the street were referred to as vermin you know like animals you know and and i we don't have time to go into it but uh even a lot of them uh were even killed just to get them off the streets you know, over history, um, you know, and it says visiting them in their distress. This is their, their difficult circumstances. Um, you know, those that are under a lot of, of pressing, uh, circumstances of life, uh, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is our last, last statement here. 
um, what James is doing here, which I thought was really interesting, he's balancing the social concern uh, with the need for personal purity. You know, a fact that I think uh, too often is forgotten who place heavy emphasis on a social gospel. Um, you know, those who place a lot of emphasis on the social gospel will ignore the latter part of verse 27. Yeah, you know, we do need to care for the needy, but they leave out the part also to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. There's two sides to that equation, you know. Um, yeah, it's great to go build houses and stuff for people, but there's also the own personal responsibility on our uh, purity. Um, it says to keep... Uh, meaning to keep eye on. Uh, it means to watch as one would watch after a precious thing. Um, and James is using it here uh, as a call to believers to remain undefiled. Uh, for oneself, uh, it's saying to keep yourself unspotted from the world. You know, not not others. <laughs> it's saying you got to do it for yourself. You can't do it for others. Uh, you know, I think a lot of us, sometimes we might have a tendency to focus on the faults of others and forget what we look like in the mirror of God's word. You know, it's saying keep yourself unspotted, you know, not others, keep yourself. Um, and the word unspotted here, without blemish or defect. Um, and in the spiritual sense, it's it's only possible through a spirit-empowered uh, life. Um, I'm going to read a quick story. I know we're, we're out of time here, but uh, in the forests of northern Europe and Asia lives a little animal called the ermine, known for his snow-white fur in winter. He instinctively protects his white coat against anything that would soil it. Fur hunters take advantage of this unusual trait of the ermine. Uh, they don't set a snare to catch him, but instead they find his home, which is usually left in a rock or a hollow in a tree. They smear the entrance and the interior of his home with grime. Then the hunters set the dogs loose uh, to find and chase the ermine. The frightened animal flees toward his home but doesn't enter because of the filth. Rather than soil his white coat, he is trapped by the dogs and captured while preserving his purity. For the ermine, purity is more precious than his life. You know, and I think it's a good picture for us as, as believers here. Um, keep oneself unspotted from the world. It's, it's not talking about the material planet earth here, but the fallen world system headed by, headed by Satan. Um, you know, think of the world like an ocean filled with water. Believers are to be like boats. You know, the boat's purpose is fulfilled when it gets into the water, you know, but its function and usefulness uh, deteriorates when the water gets into the boat. And that's the same idea with, with Christians. Um, there was a, a story, uh, uh, an elderly lady, a long member of a church. She shook her hands with the pastor one time after the service on a Sunday morning. That was a wonderful sermon, she exclaimed, just wonderful. Everything you said applies to somebody I know. <laughs> and see, James here doesn't want us to apply the words to other people. He wants us to apply it to ourselves, you know. And 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 that's kind of how we're to keep ourselves unstained from the world. I'm going to close with one verse. 
um, Paul gave us a command in Romans 12, verse 1 through 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, it makes sense. It's reasonable. <laughs> and do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that may, you may prove what is good, perfect, and the acceptable will of God. In other words, you can prove that a believer can live in the world, but not live of the world. You know, so I just kind of want to close with that. Um, thanks for hanging in there. Let us pray. <laughs> Lord, we do want to come before you, Lord. We do thank you, Lord, just for your word, Lord, the richness in it, Lord, the wealth, the, the life source that it is, Lord, and, and just the multi-functions uh, that it has, Lord. It, it can cleanse us, it can save us, and it can also keep us, Lord, unspotted from the world. Lord, we do lift just the things that we went over, Lord. I know there were a lot of notes, Lord, but I just pray at least a few key things would just stick in our heads, Lord, as we uh, live the rest of our week and, and the road ahead of us that you have for our lives, Lord. Uh, continue to be with the series, Lord, uh, through James uh, next week and the weeks following, Lord, and keep us safe as we go home, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.